Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, better, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance, I left my executive role to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the boardroom, and the marketplace. Now the CEO of Live Media, I am thrilled to create wellness-based content and technologies to help you level up and become more conscious of your ripple. The Live app launched Christmas Day for Apple iOS. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a beautiful place for us to share our gold, our dreams, and create community. Gold is a Live Media production brought to you from the sound studio at the Live headquarters. Amy Nelson has become one of my personal heroes. She unapologetically shows the world that career and family are intertwined. She brings her daughter Holland with her to board meetings and believes the conversation surrounding whether women can have it all is sexist. Amy is the founder and CEO of The Riveter, a modern union for working women. A graduate of Emory University and the NYU School of Law, Amy practiced corporate litigation with a focus on high-profile First Amendment matters for over a decade in New York City and Seattle. She also served on President Obama's National Finance Committee, where she co-chaired Gen 44, the under-40 fundraising arm of the campaign. Additionally, Amy also worked with President Carter's The Carter Center. In 2017, Amy launched The Riveter while pregnant with her third daughter in three years, and she welcomed daughter number four in June 2019. The Riveter's growth has outpaced even WeWork's first years, and to date, they've raised over $20 million in venture capital. Amy is a contributor for Inc., has written for Forbes, and has been published broadly, including in or on outlets including The Today Show, Refinery29, BuzzFeed, The Washington Post, and The Seattle Times. She has spoken across the world on many stages, including Forbes Under 30, United States of Women, and South by Southwest. Today, Amy and I talk about the importance of inclusive work environments, the messy balance of a mom and executive, and her desire for her daughters to grow up feeling unlimited. Let's dig in. I am so excited to have with me today on Gold, Amy Nelson from The Riveter. Thank you for joining. Thanks so much for having me. I have been looking forward to this conversation because you have become like my own personal hero. Um... I we we met in Vegas probably a little over a year ago and you were you were you built the Riveter and it's an amazing company amazing what you're doing um in the co-working space and I I definitely want to talk about that but I think what really strikes me is that you're kind of unapologetically being the mom raising a child who shows up with you on red carpets in pictures with political candidates. And as we were, I was telling you before we got started, I brought my daughter to work with me when I worked in corporate and not because I asked them, but because I demanded it. And I love the way you're building a culture and a conversation around um, the idea that we can be mothers and work and the two can coincide. And I wanted to dig into that a little bit with you and, and first ask you, like, was this your plan when you started The Riveter? Like, what was your big idea? And was it simply as life continued and as you, um, your, your, I think you had your third daughter while you were building the Riveter? Like, how did this all come about that you decided to blend these two worlds publicly? Yeah. So I was a lawyer before I started my company. I'd been a litigator for a decade. Um, and I think really thought I'd be a lawyer forever. I was in fact still paying off my law school loans when I quit, um, working in the field to start the Riveter. Um, but really, I mean, I was motivated to start this company because of being a mother. Mm -hmm. Um, and by that, I mean, 
I mean, I think this is a common experience, but when I became a mom in corporate America, I felt like the world's perspective of me changed on a dime. It was as if like the fact that I'd been an attorney for all these years and been successful didn't matter anymore. Um, I was, instead of being a lawyer, I was like a mom who was also a lawyer, um, if that makes sense. And kind of the questions I got around like, will you come back to work? Will you want to travel? Will you want to go to trial? Um, and it was really confusing to me. And then like on the flip side of it, I understood the questions because I found it incredibly difficult to be a mother and an attorney in a very kind of traditional old school working environment. I mean, there was a time when, you know, with I had to be at my desk from nine to five thirty, and with the commute, I just didn't see my kids awake mm -hmm. and I wanted to see them and didn't quite understand why I had to be at my desk all day when some of the work could be done remotely through technology. Um, and so it was just this big struggle for me, kind of in all different ways. I deeply wanted to work. I wanted to continue to build on my career and I wanted to be a mom. And I just didn't feel like corporate America provided space for that. Um, and so I was motivated to start the Riveter in thinking about what would it look like to create a world where we thought of women um, and their work just in a really intentional way, recognizing that so many women are leaving corporate America to start small businesses, and that a lot of people want to stay in corporate America but don't know how. Mm -hmm. um, so was built to be this community for working women and allies uh, to really navigate work, whether you're starting a small business or staying in corporate America. Um, when I started the Riveter, in the, in the very first inception of it, I thought I would build the one physical community space where women could come together to work and share community and resources. Um, very quickly after I came up with that idea, I realized that this is something women everywhere needed. And so I wanted to be able to give it to as many people as possible. Um, and so then the Riveter became this idea that would manifest through in real life spaces all over the country and as well as a very real space online. Um, and so all of this has happened in the past two and a half years. And during that time, I have had two more daughters. So <laughs> I have four daughters who are, um, my daughters today are five, three, two, and seven months. Um, so it's just general madness in all areas. Um, and you asked kind of about sharing motherhood. And when I started the company, I didn't really have an online presence. You know, I, like, like I said, I was just everyday lawyer living in the Pacific Northwest, driving a minivan. Um, I still drive a minivan. They <laughs> have to with four kids and car seats. Um, but somewhere around, you know, somewhere when I, during my pregnancy with my fourth daughter, um, I was having a lot of conversations with women I knew who were thinking about having kids and also building businesses or navigating, you know, their rise in corporate America. And the conversation that I kept having over and over again was, I wanna, I wanna build on my career and I wanna have kids, but I just, I don't see women doing it. I don't see mm -hmm. examples of how all of that comes together. And I was like thinking about it for a long time and I'm a pretty private person, but I thought, you know, if my example can show anybody, how I do it at least, how it's very messy and chaotic, but doable in the way that I've chosen to do it, then it's worth sharing it. It's worth sharing the ins and outs of it on social media and writing about it and being open about it. And what, what really got me into that mindset was thinking, you know, I didn't have any examples of it. I didn't have anyone who was telling me that this was possible. 
And it would have been really meaningful to have that. And so over the past year, I've really kind of started to share what my own life looks like in a much deeper way, in a much more everyday way. Um, and that's been a whole other adventure. I bet. I, I love it personally because I, I relate to it so much. You know, I, I came up in corporate America. I worked in finance and I actually went through uh, fertility treatments. Um, pro- I was open about it, but not with my clients. And it was very strange to me because it was like there was this almost like disavowing of my femininity. Right. I would wear these um these suits to make sure that they couldn't tell that I had been to the doctor because of the injections and the blood draws and all of those things. And then when I did have my daughter, I was other, right? I came back and I remember one of our sales executives saying like, how is the company going to make up the revenue we lost while you were gone? And I was like, I just made a human being like you go make up the revenue. And I was just so offended by the way I couldn't be both things. Like I needed, I was, I was almost, um, I was even asked at one point in time to be the person that would talk to other women in the firm when they were getting ready to go on maternity leave to prep them for the return. And I hated being that person because I remember having to say to them, you have to pretend like you're not a mom. You have to come back and your accounts are going to be stolen while you're gone. And when you get back, you're going to have to like bustle your way in, make sure that you've got someone on your side while you're gone. And I'm like, this doesn't work. And I just started at one point in time just I was like, I'm not wearing the suits anymore. I refuse to look like a boy. I am a woman. I am a mother and I'm a kick-ass, you know, salesperson and investment uh, advisor. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not one or the other. So I started actually bringing my daughter to work on days that I needed to. And they never gave me a hard time about it. But it was like you said, there was like almost kind of like I had no examples of how to make this work. I just knew that the way it worked wasn't working for me. And for most and for most people, you know, you 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 try really hard to fit within these paradigms. And there is this thing that that drives me crazy. And I, I want you to to help me with this um, because I know you have your own opinion on it. But this whole conversation of, well, women can't have it all. And I was starting to say, well, like, let's start defining what all means, because I think that that was just propaganda at one point in time. Like you can have it all. You can do all of these things. And we started to define it. And I just absolutely hate this sentence completely. So I'm curious as to your take on the way we viewed women in the workplace and that specific slogan. Well, the idea of having it all, I think, is something that is so gendered and really sexist because I've never, ever seen anyone in the media or business ask, can men have it all? Right. Right. Like it's not it's just like it's looked at as something so different. And I think the word the other that you brought up is so important and real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, look, life looks different for every single person. It looks different for single mothers than it does for mothers who have partners. It does look different for men than it does for women, because we live in a society that is still very biased um, in terms of how men and women are supposed to show up. Um, and I think the question, you know, when we say can women have it all, first of all, we're we're asking the question in a negative of saying like, it's a question of whether women can manage these various parts of their lives. And the truth is also most women don't get a choice, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very privileged thing to say, like, can women work and have a family? Because most women don't get the option to not work, right? They can have an option whether to have a family, but most women have to work. And so I think the question is really for everyone, both men and women that we have to ask, how do we integrate all of it and make all of it work? And how can employers play a, po- a role in that? How can work and work culture provide place for people to be humans and be employees? Mm. 
I think that's so important. And I know that there's a lot of, and, and this is something that I'm dabbling in right now is you know, the corporate wellness and stuff, but I still don't think that they've got it a hundred percent figured out. Like it's, it's just kind of creating a, a check mark to say, yeah, we're, we're paying attention to what's going on with our employees. But I was talking to an attorney recently who was looking at their maternity and paternity leaves. And she's like, you know, we want to offer the same opportunity for men. We want to be more considerate of women if they want to work remotely. And then I was like, well, have you considered the idea that our work days don't really make make sense? You know, the, the time a school or a daycare opens doesn't always correlate with the time that you have to be at work, the same with the time a child gets off school and when you have to have to be in a meeting. Have we also considered the idea that what if you want to bring your child to work or there's daycare services contracted nearby so that it can make it a lot easier for someone to have both parts of their lives working in tandem. And that was kind of, she was like, I didn't even think about that. (laughs) And I know that, you know, and I know that I have, I know the idea that I could demand that my daughter comes to work with me was a privilege that I had that not many people do. So I, I think of those moms that don't have the opportunity to, to, advocate in that behalf or they're, they're, the type of job they have wouldn't allow for them to spend time with their child. Um, and I just, I, I'm worried. I shouldn't say I'm worried. I'm hopeful about the way we are looking at at this conversation in the workplace, but I don't know how how long it's going to take, I guess. I think that's my, my worry. It'll take a while. I mean, it's really interesting, your point about schools, like the school calendar including the school day and the hours of the school day and holidays is built on the agrarian calendar, assuming that school children are working in their families' farms. Mm. That is not the experience of most school children today and most families today, right? And yet the calendar hasn't changed at all, which makes it so impossible. Like, as you know, like if in summer rolls around, if you have two working parents or a single working parent, like you just have to figure it out. And it's complicated and it's hard and it's time consuming and it's expensive. And so I agree with you that like employers need to sit down and think about, you know, how can we make this work? We only require in-person meetings during between 10 and three um, Mm -hmm. at our company and anything else you can take remotely because people have lives and they have drop off and pick up and we can't, you know, ask, I can't ask them to not have those responsibilities. I want my teammates to have families and have lives. Um, and guess what? We're building a business that's scaling really quickly and we're able to make it work. And I think that that's an important point to make, right? And an example for others, because I think companies have to kind of take that into consideration. The fact that you're not trying to micromanage their time in or out. And I, I remember being in these like little power poles where people would be like, we're going to have a meeting at four o'clock in the afternoon and look at me with like this look on their face, like make your choice kind of thing, you know? And that's, that's, we have to shift away from that expectation that the amount of hours and how present you are at work shows that your loyalty towards the company and have more companies and leaders and executives saying, I'm going to affect change within the culture in ways that can work. Like the idea of saying you only have to be in person between 10 and three because I know that you have other expectations out of you. That employee is going to stay with you longer. There, there, There's so much to be... Um, to be gained by recognizing that they're whole and human beings outside of what we expect of them. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, no, absolutely. How do you find, um, do you find other companies or cultures reaching out to you to ask for your advice or um, how have you seen this platform or conversation uh, move forward? I'd, I'd love to know if like corporate America is like, how are you guys doing it? We want to, we want to take suit. 
Um, yeah, actually, we work with a lot of different companies. We at the Riveter have something called the Employer Circle, where we work with companies across the country who care about pay equity, pay transparency, and retention of women. And these are things we all think about. Of course, childcare is not solely in the realm of women, but today, still, women remain to the primary caretakers in most American families. And so when you talk about how to make work for women, you have to talk about making caretaking work. Um, and so we work a lot with these different companies on talking around these issues and how we can make it better. Um, but I think what's really interesting is to think about how companies that are beginning and starting can think about these issues from day one. I think we still have the sense that like you can't have paid parental leave until you've like in air quotes made it as a company. You can totally have these things from day one and still build a company. And I would argue that if you can't have paid parental leave and make it as a company, you probably shouldn't have a company. Um, and so I think, you know, these examples of firms that are beginning and starting and launching and what they can offer from day zero is really important. Today Gold is brought to you by Live Media and the Live app, now available on the Apple App Store. We believe that a healthy you today leads to a healthier world tomorrow. To that end, we have created accountability features on a platform of curated coaches and thought leaders in a wide variety of areas, all to bring each person to their best self as a whole and healthy individual. We do this through time-proven tools that offer personal accountability, measurable growth, a support system, and community. At all times, live guests have access to an accountability coach or to our network of coaches through email submission. Whether you simply want to goal set with a little support or have a coach provide you a monthly plan, we've got you. Search Live Media Inc. in the Apple App Store or link to us through our Instagram account at loveisviral.media or mine at ms.janetteschneider. I love that. I think that that's it's a very valuable statement because your employees are your greatest asset. You know, they're the people who are going to help you move your company forward. Yet a lot of times we look at them as, you know, and, and you're right, especially with startups. And I'm a startup right now. You're constantly thinking of like, OK, what can I pay attention to right now? But my decision has always been to make sure that the people who work with me and for me always feel valued because I remember what it was like not to feel valued um, in certain ways or to demand things and kind of throw weight because you you want so badly to make your lives make sense. And especially I'd gone through a divorce. So there was a period of time where um, I'm co-parenting and it's my week. What am I going to do? You know, and there's a meeting that has to be done all of a sudden in Dallas and I've got to get on a plane and I'm trying to figure it all out. And I think having that foresight as we're building companies and having these conversations are so valuable and so important that I'm hoping over time that this transition, and especially as we watch millennials come into more positions of power, they have a little bit more of this kind of uh, mindset of, of well-being within the workplace and the whole human being that we start to see this this shift across the across the landscape. I'm very much into any type of activism, <laughs> especially consumer activism or employee activism that helps um, create better lives. Because at the end of the day, if you look at the numbers, it also creates healthier companies. And unfortunately, a lot of this is is you know the decisions are made based on bottom line numbers. Yep, I agree. Um, and we just have to really, I mean, it's interesting that you brought up millennials. I think that millennials will lead us into the brave new world because they demand a different type of work. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm kind of, I'm in that like zennial generation between Gen X and millennial. Um, and it's an interesting place to stand and watch the differences between the two generations and the generations that came before and how we think about work and, and what we're doing. I agree with you. So I'm a, I'm a zennial as well. I'm like right in between. And I just am like, 
because I was raised in corporate culture, like I know the off the shelf answers. Right. And so it's just kind of funny because it's almost like this culture shift in your mind. And I think sometimes that's why they think of Gen X as being quiet, because it's so different between the two. And um, I'm, I'm very excited about what could happen for us as a, a culture um, yeah. as we start to see them move into positions of influence within their corporations. Yes, totally. I agree with you. Um, speaking of being zennial, I turn 40 in two weeks, which is crazy. <laughs> Happy early birthday. Are you, how are you feeling? Do you have any, is this a big number for you? Is it scary? Are you reflecting? I'm excited. My 30s were so much better than my 20s. So I imagine that my 40s will be very full and exciting. And I know I'll keep stretching and growing. Um, I think for me, like 50 will be the very big number. Like that's Mm -hmm. like, that seems like, okay, 50 is, seems like probably over the halfway mark. Right. And so that's kind of the, um, I think will be really interesting. And for me, like my 30s have been so much about becoming a mother and becoming an entrepreneur, like and becoming a wife. I became a wife in my 30s. And so, I mean, my life changed so dramatically. And so in my 40s, I hope to like get more of a footing in the life that I have built now um, mm-hmm. and really kind of stretch and grow and expand and not have any more babies. I think four is enough. <laughs> so, um, so we'll see. And, you know, when I turn 50, I'll have my kids will be teenagers or preteens. So it'll be just a very different world order order. I kind of love looking at life that way. Like I've, the fact that you've spent, you've done a lot of living in your thirties, right? You've completely created the foundation um, in your thirties and then moving into your forties and then building upon that foundation. And that includes the influence on your daughters. Um, You have four girls. I have one daughter. Um, My partner has a girl. So I'm raising two. Um, And I feel so strongly about modeling behavior to our girls. It's one of the reasons I decided to leave corporate America and start this project because I was like, I want the workspace to look different by the time my daughter gets there. And I'm curious for you, like, what do you what do you see when you look at your girls? And as you are building the Riveter and as you're making decisions, what kind of influence do they have on those those decisions that you make? As I build the Riveter, the one North Star that I have is I want this to be a place where my daughters would be proud to work. Mm. And that, if you can align around that, that that can really dictate everything. Um, it's not an easy place to work. We're building a startup. It's really hard. Um, but it's a place where we respect each other, where we're kind to each other, where we have fun, um, and where we're constantly trying to stretch and, and grow. Um, and so... I always think of it that, I mean, when I look at my daughter, daughters and I think about what the world will be like, you know, there's, a, there's fear, mm-hmm. right? There's, you know, I think a lot about the 2016 election because I was so excited. I grew up asking my mom and dad if a girl could be president because I hadn't seen it. And I was so excited in the 2016 election because my girls weren't going to ask me that question because the first president they knew would be a woman. Mm. That didn't happen. It made me realize the world is still a really different place than I want it to be. And so how do you raise your daughters to know they can do anything in a world that actually still doesn't really believe they can do anything? Um, You know, they're still young and, and the questions haven't started about why things are different or why there isn't a girl president. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just, I just don't ever want them to feel limited And that's, I think, what we're working against. But I think it's also important, like, I'm also building the Riveter for me. I have a lot of career left, and I want the world to look different for me. 
I want there to be more parity and funding for businesses for women. I want there to be, I want to have just as likely of a chance of getting a raise as a man or as a woman without kids, right? Because there's mm-hmm. definitely a motherhood bias. Like I want all of these things and I still don't have them. I think that's really powerful because you're, you're building it for the future and the idea of your girls having the opportunity to work there. I haven't really thought of like there not being a female president because I, um, I think like a lot of people after the 2016 election, um, a lot of women, there was kind of a, a deep sadness um, and, and fear and anger. And what I, I will say, and this is the only thing that I hold on to, um, is the amount of women who have catalyzed and moved into public office because they feel like, okay, we've got to do something. So if there was a positive to the way things went down for me, and I, I feel like women finally started to take a step forward and say, okay, we're going to start moving into office. We're going to start doing these things that maybe it would have been a slower go if it was a female president. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I'm curious for you, would you ever consider political office? I would. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I've always been really involved in the community. Mm-hmm. I grew up with parents who, who really taught me. It was my job to show up for my neighbors and the people around me. Um, you know, my parents, participated in leadership activities in our small community in Ohio, and we knocked on doors for, you know, issues that we cared about. And so it's been a part of my life for my entire life and mm-hmm. something I think is incumbent upon all of us. I always vote. Um, and so, yeah, if, if, if I felt like I had something to say and something to do and something I could lobby for and that I was the right person, I would absolutely run for office. I think that that's one of the values that has come out of, you know, everything that went down is that I'm seeing so many more women who've always been capable, but now just wanted, they needed, needed maybe that little extra oomph to get them into that position. And I think that's where I see, um, possibility, especially when I'm talking to my daughter, um, about anything is possible. You can be anything that you want to be. And that changes for her <laughs> like often, right? You know, she's a songwriter this week. Um, but I think for her, she's never felt limited because of the fact that the women around her and the environments around her have never made her feel that way. I am fully aware of the fact that as she moves into college and as she moves into her career. And that's, like I said, one of my biggest things was I faced, you know, discrimination and there was such gender bias within finance and there was some sexual harassment. And I'm like, I don't want it to look like that. So I want to build the platforms and the conversations and surround myself and my daughter with people who are trying to shift this culture and this ideal and this expectation that it's always through the the gaze of, unfortunately, the white man. And I think I feel hope. Um, I also, I'm, my brain is full of stats and data. So I'm not one of those people who's like um, unaware of our challenges, but I'm also very aware of um, the, the Z, Gen Z and the millennial population and what they're likely going to do for our future. And I feel very positive about that. Um, but I think that that's one of the things like I take comfort in is knowing that we've got so many women standing up. I was actually just at an event this weekend with the Girl Scouts and um, Alturas Institute, and we had um, some politicians there and some experts 
uh, in uh, like political uh, statisticians and things like that. And overall, the future looks bright. And there's so many girls coming to the table. And that makes me really happy. I'm curious for you, like you talk, I've seen in, in social media, you've mentioned like traveling with, I think it's Holland is your youngest. Yes, Holland yeah. is my baby. She's seven months old. I love seeing her on trips with you. And I'm so curious, like you talk about it being messy and it is messy and any mother would tell you it's messy. But what does it look like when you are on the road with her and you're 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 balancing the two? Um, and I'm not a big fan of the word balance typically, but um, what does it look like for you? And how do you uh, I love that you've been so open and honest about the struggles of that as well. Yeah, I mean, so Holland is actually not traveling with me as much anymore. Um, one, because I'm weaning her. Um, I've stopped pumping um, and we're still nursing twice a day, but it's coming to an end. Um, and then second, I think like babies are really transportable until they're about six months and then sleep schedules become um, mm -hmm. something that becomes important and prevalent. Um, and so she isn't traveling with me as much, which also means I'm traveling in different increments because I try really hard not to be gone more than two nights. Mm -hmm. um, and I also try really hard not to travel on weekends. It doesn't always work, but those are the things I shoot for. But when I traveled with her this time, um, at a base level, it meant mostly that either my mother who is retired or one of our childcare teammates would come with us. Um, so it was definitely a financial lift when my mom came, my mom and I can share a hotel room and, and the, you know, have the baby in there with us. Um, so that was definitely a cost savings. And I tried to have everyone travel on miles. Um, the perk of traveling a ton is that you do have a ton of miles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, I would actually just bring the baby with me everywhere I went so that I could nurse her and spend time with her. Um, and people are really open to it. If you just do it, if you say this yeah. is much like what you did, it's yeah. not asking for permission. It's saying this is what's happening. And so you know, I like aside from traveling with Holland this summer, I brought Holland to board meetings with my venture capital investors and I fed her during those board meetings and I was nursing. I changed her diapers and no one really batted an eye. It was like this is happening. And everyone in the room was a parent. Everyone had been through it. Um, and so it's just kind of part and parcel of me and who I am that these small humans will be with me and a part of what I'm doing. I love that. Oh, I love it so much. I My daughter was so funny. She would come with me to work from the time she was very little in her little carrier. And I had a TV screen in my office where I would watch, you know, CNBC or whatever. And I would just put on cartoons. She had a drawer that was like her markers and her stuff. And she knew that if we had a meeting and everyone in the, on the floor knew Olivia will be in our meeting today. Um, and she would just sit there with her headphones on watching a show on her iPad. And she knew that she wasn't to, to talk or, you know, joke or anything like that, unless someone looked at her and said, okay, we're ready now. Um, and it was, I loved raising her in that environment because she had no expectation that there was anything different. And when she was about four years old, she walked by me in a pair of my high heels as she was like leaving the house. And I was like, where are you going? And she was like, Cinderella and I are heading to New York to close a deal. And I was like, that's right. Because in my mind, it was like, Cinderella is not your aspiration. It's not the prince will come. Cinderella is her business partner because she's seen um, mom in action. I will tell you, it did backfire on me later because when she 
she knew that I would negotiate the d- deals and I probably negotiated a little bit too much with her. And ne- like recently she's like, so what's the deal on the table? Like, what's the offer? And I was like, you have to eat all your chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah. That's the offer. So it kind of, it, it, it's, it's a good and a bad thing, but I, I really appreciate the fact that like, like you said, it's, it's, this is who I am. This is how I'm going to do business. And this is the the people around me, right? It's, it's not, um, picking one or the other or showing one as being more valuable, a, a life of balance. Like I hate the word balance because it, it gives the impression that something is going to be dropped. Like you're always trying to strive for something. Right. In my mind. Like one thing, like a balance means things of equal weight. Things never weigh equally in your life no. and they weigh different things on different days and different months and different years. I agree. And I think it's more about like having presence and recognizing that it's all it's all in flow at all times. Right. There's there's parts of you that make you inherently amazing and human and flawed and all of those things. And whether they're within your personal life or your career, they all flow together and are are part of the same individual. And I think it's just about having that presence with each role. And I just, I commend you and I adore you for what you're doing. And when I follow your Instagram, I'm like, yes, because we need more women who are like unapologetically, I am a mother and I'm a business person and it's hard and I am doing it. And, um, those conversations need to be, need to be heard. Um, I'm curious for you, these, there's a couple questions that I ask a lot of, uh, everyone that comes on the show and I want to ask you as well. Um, if you were to look at a younger version of yourself, and you could give her a piece of advice. How old would she be, and what advice would you give her? Uh, it's this is going to sound so trite, but I think I would tell my 27-year-old self that it's all going to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, in my 20s, I went to law school. I lived in New York. I was outwardly very successful, but I felt very lost internally. I wondered if I would ever meet a partner that I wanted to be with, if I would ever have kids, if I would if this was the job I would, would always have, you know, like, would I always be in New York? And I was just always questioning it and always doubting myself. I think I would have had a lot more fun um, if I had just kind of accepted that this is all part of the ride and enjoyed myself um, because I was always afraid it just all of these pieces weren't going to work out and I wanted them to. Um, so I think that that is the advice I would give myself. Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably, I mean, it's just so trite, <laughs> but, but it, it's what I needed. It's not trite because it's, I mean, I think so many of us have a tendency to be hard on ourselves and want so badly to force outcomes and make sure that we're making the right decisions. And even at this Girl Scout event I was at yesterday, one of the girls got up and she said, how do I know that I'm making the right, de- I'm picking the right college, the right major, the right career, the right partner? I was like, oh girl, <laughs> like there are no right answers, you know, and it's it's sometimes it's enjoying the journey and realizing that at the end of the day, everything's going to kind of flow together and, and come into this kind of beautiful consortium of you, you know, and I think that's I love that. If you were um, transitioning from this life and you wanted to leave behind some gold nuggets of wisdom or inspiration, what would that be? What would your legacy be? Uh, Big question. Yeah, that's a hard one. I mean, I think I think the two things that I would want to tell my daughters would be to tell the people that you love that you love them a lot, all the time. I think I don't think we all do that enough. Um, and then the other piece would be to show up for the people around you, not just your family, but your friends and your broader community. 
my kids are born into a lot of privilege. And with that, I think they have a duty to make life better for everyone else. It's definitely something I feel. And so I think, you know, we all have to do that. We all have to show up for one another. The human race exists because we've been showing up for one another for all of millennia, right? Like we, we wouldn't be here otherwise. And we have to keep doing it. Mm, that's so powerful. And I appreciate that so much. My, um, my daughter, I've shared with her before, um, there are things that you are born into and that you are given that are not to be taken lightly. And so if you're offered opportunities like popularity or a platform or you're offered the ability, you don't use that to pat yourself on the back. You use it to uplift others and to, to be the voice of change. And I think um, recognizing that we're all so much part of the human condition um, is so valuable and such a beautiful message. So I appreciate you so much for joining me today and sharing your well, with us. me. Yeah. I am like totally like um, your fan from afar. <laughs> I'm like loving everything you're doing. Well, so I mean, it's, it's really important. Thank you so much. And just, I appreciate you and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining today. I love Amy's advocacy for women in the workplace and the work she's doing to change the conversation. You can find her on Instagram at Amy underscore Riveter. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. You can find me on Instagram at either ms.janetteschneider or the live movement at loveisviral.media or live at loveisviral.com. Get deep in the work with me to uncover your messaging before you pass it on to your children or the people you influence. Order my book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, available on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.